Well, good morning, Aldergrove. Uh, my name is John. I am one of the pastors here, and I'm just really glad to be here. This is just one of my favorite places to be. So, uh, what we're going to do is people kind of come in and get settled. I'm going to get you to do a, I don't know if people call it this, but a 3360. So to take 30 seconds, not yet, to take 30 seconds and just kind of know every name 360 degrees around you. Introduce yourself. And quick question just to ask is what is your five out of five stars would recommend? Could be a place. Could be a restaurant or a service, could be a product. So 30 seconds, 360 degrees. What is your five out of five stars? I would recommend this, okay? 30 seconds, 360, what would you recommend? Go. So five out of five stars would recommend what do you recommend? Just anyone, just, just throw, throw some of these out. What's your five out of five stars? What would recommend is? Dogs. dogs. Just, just dogs. <laughs> As pets? Okay. <laughs> There's just a lot of ways we could go there. Uh, what else five out of five stars would recommend? Sorry, banter ice cream. Okay. That, that resonated. There's, there's a hand there. Five out of five stars. What would you recommend? Hole-in-one mini golf? Excellent recommendation. Young life. <laughs> young life. A friend. Oh, that's wonderful. And young life. Yeah, yeah, would recommend. Uh, for me, the one that I would like to contribute today is cookie butter. Now, I don't, I, I honestly, truly, I struggle with product placement in the pulpit. I don't love it. So I'm not going to tell you what brand or what store. But cookie butter, it looks like peanut butter, but it's made from cookies. And they just take cookies and grind it up into the consistency of peanut butter. So kids are in the service. It's a family Sunday. Just remember the phrase, cookie butter. And the next grocery shop, just say, cookie butter? Uh, so five out of five stars, would recommend. Great on your breakfast, but it is not healthy. Uh, so five out of five stars, would recommend. Giving a recommendation like that can be something vulnerable. Like if someone says to you, what's your favorite movie? If maybe if you're like me, you filter the list based on who you're talking to. It's like, I don't know if they're going to like that kind of movie. If I say this, what are they going to think about me? If I recommend a restaurant and you don't like it, it's like, oh, okay, I'm going to hedge. It can be a little vulnerable to share a recommendation. But on the other hand, a recommendation is so incredibly valuable because it's your experience. See, it's not the brand saying that it's a good brand. It's not an expert recommending it. It's saying, in the experience, in my actual life, this is what has happened, and it's been good. So a recommendation, it can be so vulnerable and yet 
so valuable. And we're starting a series on evangelism. Over the next four weeks, it's called Love and Light. We're sharing the good news like Jesus. And when you hear evangelism, sometimes your first thought is arguments or explanations, that we need to convince people in their brains about Jesus. But actually, I think that I am increasingly convinced that the heart of evangelism is that we ourselves encounter the gospel and we're open with our experience. That we aren't trying to convince or explain, but rather we are sharing the experience of meeting Christ that we ourselves have had. And this can be vulnerable, but so incredibly valuable. And so over the next four weeks, the other thing we're going to do is we've invited a few people to share stories of how they met Jesus. And so I'm going to invite Dave Stark to come up on stage. And I've known Dave for about 10 years. Yeah, let's give Dave a hand. I've known Dave for about 10 years now, and Dave has just agreed to share his story. So Dave, how'd you meet Jesus? Well, um, yeah, I'm feeling a little, little nervous, but yes, Emily, I'm very, very excited. <laughs> And uh, a little bit of taking care of business before we start here. My chocolate bar at the end of this, is that right? Yeah, Kevin's got it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, coming to Jesus, uh, probably midlife. I grew up uh, in Vancouver, East Vancouver, and uh, no religion whatsoever, no knowledge. Um, I, in my mind, I had a very good first half of my life with respect to what the world thought was success and positives. Um, things went, were very good for me, uh, besides some basic trials and, and things. I'll give you an example, not to boast, but it comes up in my story, is graduating grade 12 in high school with a graduating class of over 400 students, I was voted top citizen. So, you know, what does that mean? Very strong moral compass, uh, amazing parents, and I say that again to give you some background. Mother, uh, my mother had the biggest heart uh, I've ever seen. Um, um, dad was a commercial fisherman. He was, he was not really around. That was a, so I grew up in a very strong moral uh, situation. And um, my first marriage uh, happened, went through an ugly, expensive, uh, very stressful divorce. Um, I, would have, I wouldn't even have categorized myself as a social drinker prior to that, but um, I found this thing called vodka, which took, took away the pain and uh, ended up taking everything from me. Um, almost took my life, but it took me down, um, down right to the bottom. And, um, um, you know, looking... Hadn't come to God at that point, but again, looking back, is, is he wanted my heart, um, and he just let me kind of go through life, and he said, now's the time. So uh, with everything gone, uh, I checked into a recovery uh, house in Surrey, which I knew nothing about, um, that type of treatment. And um, yeah, I was living with, with nine other men, um, major criminals, pedophiles, all sorts of addicts. Um, one would categorize them as, as the least 
uh, in our world. And here I was living with them, and this was someone, you know, I wasn't uh, prideful in my life. But uh, I never would have envisioned that. And, uh, you know, I think I, I may have, in my mind, been there volunteering or helping, doing some work on the house, but never thought I'd be living in that situation. So my second day, I was given the task of cleaning the bathrooms. And um, uh, I had the toilet brush. I opened up the toilet, and it was the filthiest thing I, I had ever seen. And uh, I looked, and, and, and that, was, that was the turning point in my life. Um, can't explain, something hit me, I fell to my knees and, and I, I started to weep, didn't know why. Um, but, uh, got through that, the day after that, um, my roommate was a pastor that uh, had fallen to heroin for many years and it was God saying, you know, I, I had no knowledge of scripture, the Bible but he placed this pastor in my room and you know, his name was Ray. And I just asked him everything. It was like, shut up Dave, sort of thing. It was like, you know, middle of the night, Psst, Ray, what's, what's this mean, what's this mean? I became very thirsty and it was not that long after that uh, I was reading Ephesians, uh, one of the very few passages that is in my mind and in my heart, but it, it applied to that situation. So although, they, although I'm lesser than the least of, of all God's people, this grace was given to me. And in scripture, we, we see examples of uh, descriptions as, as such as as far as the east is from the west and as far as the heavens are from the earth. And we see that term lesser than the least. And I look back and I'm going, how can you be lesser than the least? Well, you live with nine of them, uh, and then you end up cleaning their excrement. So that has been on my heart and my mind for my whole life, is I was lesser than the least. And God got my heart and said, come with me. And... Um, so that was, the, like I said, the turning point and amazing things happening after that. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll talk briefly about soon after, I was going to say I had a dream, but it wasn't a dream. It was an encounter, I believe, with God. It was um, uh, middle of the night. Uh, I, I, I knew I wasn't dreaming. I knew I wasn't awake. And there was a video being played of uh, my parent... My parents died in my 20s, their deaths, other things that had uh, burdened me for many, many years. And there was a video of these events, and every time there was events, say, dad's passing when I was 19, there was, I would see it, and I would hear, I would hear, I will hold your heart. And there was this tremendous flood of peace over my body. And then it would go on to say my mother's passing and other incidents in my life and I truly believe that was an encounter of God because I, I saw it, I heard it, and, and I felt it. And uh, yeah. yeah. So you met Jesus as the less than the least through a guy named Ray. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what difference has Jesus made in your life? If you look from, kind of from then to now, what are some of the ways that Jesus has made a difference? Oh, the, the, the radical grace that, that I've been given. Um, again, I grew up in a, a very strong moral. I used to, I used to call, it, call it, you know, parenting through guilt. 
Um, it was very loving, but I, I, through my childhood and other parts in life, I carried a lot of guilt and shame and regret. And that is ref reflected in that encounter, I believe, with God is just these burdens on my heart. And uh, so, so grace uh, took away a lot of that, still a lot that exists, but noticeable departure of shame and guilt. And it, it sort of freed me up to follow, to follow Jesus and to try and become what he created me to be without all these distractions. Um, it, it gave me an identity which I'd never had in my life, such a strong identity. Uh, I bet you there's a few people out there that could relate to, you know, growing up or, or uh, being a people pleaser, hearing that term. And, and at times it's, it's a negative connotation, but uh, I believe I got that loving heart for my mom and I wanted to help people. So growing up in, in my early years, you know, been called a people pleaser or just that really nice guy. And I had a counselor soon after I came to Christ. He, he wasn't a Christian counselor, but he said, you know, who is Dave Stark? You're out there pleasing everybody. But he, he said, you have no identity. You have no self. You're selfless. And I kind of thought, and I'm going, huh. So that stuck with me again. Uh, soon as, it was just after I came to Christ and reading, and Jesus talks about being selfless. And I'm going, yeah, I'm selfless. I'm, I'm a servant. I'm a servant leader. I'm a selfless servant, uh, servant leader. And th that just gave me this unbelievable identity and purpose in life. Um, to move along. Um, I talked about sort of an absentee father, not a bad father, but he wasn't there part of my life. Um, what coming to Jesus has given me is, is, is a father figure, right? Um, an opportunity to discover my gifts and talents that uh, he created me with to use to, to glorify him and, and, and help build his kingdom. Those are some of the things I've discovered. And I'm still so thirsty for the word and you know, excited. It's I saw some of the kids come running in and said it was, what was it, family Sunday or something, grabbing it, and I just, yeah, that excitement. It's just, it's so pure. And uh, I can honestly say, I said to Emily, I said, I'm, I'm just excited, right? Thank you. So what does, what does life look like these days for you, Dave? Well, you know, Jesus didn't promise a perfect path uh, without trials. And we don't always get things right first time around. Um, so after I, I uh, came to Christ, I started going to Fort Langley Community Church where I met John and Emily and Ezra and so very involved with the church and committees and, and life groups and, and working, working on my faith journey. Um, and uh, well, it was a number of years later, so I really wasn't drinking after I'd come out of recovery. Uh, a beer here, a couple of beer there, that was about it. But things were good, got married. Um, and uh, second, fair, second uh, uh, failure of a marriage, uh, which took me down pretty good, not as down as the first time, but you know, I, I did 
to, to try and deal with it. what I did the first time was reach for, reach for alcohol, reach for vodka. And um, um, prior to that, I had done some volunteer work at Wagner Hills Farms in North Langley and Glen Valley, which is a faith-based uh, men's um, addictions treatment facility. It's been there for about 42 years. So I knew it existed. Um, and I just felt God was saying, okay, you need to go to Wagner Hills. So I took that step um, and uh, with no hesitation. And uh, I truly believe it's been, it's been a gift from God um, to me to um, do a whole bunch of things there. It's a one-year program. And, you know, at my age, this is the logical thinking is, why do I want to give up one year at this point in my life when perhaps there's not a lot of years left? But that's how we measure time. And, you know, with God in eternity, that just flew out the window really quick, is I'm there. Uh, I'm there to grow closer to God. Um, oldest person there, uh, many young men, young ones, anything younger than me, but... Um, I'm able to speak in, into the lives of, of many people at the same time working on myself. Grace has been a huge part, uh, again, of my life and my recovery. Um, and um, one of the gifts that I found when I came to Christ uh, was I, I, I had the ability to write. I mean, I was written from work and school, but to write creatively, um, you know, Praise the Lord, you know, it was everything, everything I wrote got published and I didn't even know what the process was to write queries and send them to magazines, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, uh, to discover that, and I was writing about what I knew because I had a mentor, which was the outdoors and fishing and expanded into families and did a lot of major interviews and things. And um, so back at the farm, um, you know, I'm, I'm writing about God now. And I didn't talk about it earlier, but probably the absolute first thing that got me interested was picking up a copy of the Daily Bread in my doctor's office when I was in my rough time. And I read a page, and it just kind of started from there. So to, again, to acknowledge, and not all of us discover some of these talents and gifts, but the other thing I've learned is, is once you do, um, you have the obligation to... Do your best at it, right? It will be held held to account. So that keeps me going. Um, sort of to wind up, um, I talked about prayers and my future and big long list, and, and it, it, you know, it just came down to one thing, and I, I just want to obey God, right? Every, everything else comes with that. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Dave. So Jesus, five out of five stars, <laughs> would recommend. 5.5. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Dave. Thanks, Dave. I fully expect that that story is what we will remember this morning, instead of anything I say. Um, Dave. For you to share is vulnerable, but so incredibly valuable. It's, it's not an argument, it's not an explanation, but it's an encounter and an experience with Christ. And so we're going to take just two
two short looks at different accounts from Jesus' life. Um, we're going to look at John chapter 1, which if you have your Bible app, you can open it up. If you have a pew Bible, it's page 499. We're going to do it a little differently. The verses will not appear up there. And sometimes we feel like if it's up there, it is just a ghost verse. It just, it just floats in the middle of nothing. But it actually exists in context, which means that there's something before and something afterwards. So Pew Bible, it's small print. Uh, there's a, a few large print ones. I don't know where they are, but if you can find one, that's great. Uh, if you don't have a Bible app, version is a great one. But a little bit of a background as you turn to find it. Uh, Jesus changed careers at around 30 years old. He was a carpenter. He became a traveling teacher. And part of this is he would gather students or disciples or apprentices. And he would say, why don't you come with me as I travel and teach? And the goal of this is at the end, you will become enough like me that you can be a teacher yourself. So Jesus is he's just starting out. He's gathering his students. In John chapter 1, verse 43, says that the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Well, how do you know me? Nathanael asked. Well, Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You're the King of Israel. And Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. So here, this is the word of the Lord. And we just want to pull out a couple small things. So Philip meets Jesus. There's an encounter, and Jesus calls Philip. And Philip, he goes and he finds his buddy. And he says, hey, I found the guy we've been looking for. All of Israel was waiting for the Messiah. I found the one we're looking for. And Nathaniel, he says, well, if he's from Nazareth, can he really be that good? Like Nazareth... If it was famous for anything, it was famous for nothing. Nobody and nothing ever came from Nazareth. And so how could anything good come from here? So Nathaniel's kind of saying, is this Jesus guy any good? Is he, is he worth my time? And Philip's response has no argument, no explanation, just invitation. Come and see. Why don't you come and meet the Christ? that I met just a moment ago. Just come and see. Another example, if you just turn the page to page 500, John chapter 4. Jesus has been traveling a little bit, and he's gone to Galilee, he's left Galilee, now he's going back to Galilee, and he's going to and through a place called Samaria. And you might have heard a story called the Good Samaritan, and we're like, Samaritans are amazing. That's not how Jewish people felt about Samaritans. For a Jewish person, a Samaritan was, honestly, dirty. One of the things I get to do as a pastor is to visit people in the hospital. And honestly, it's, it's something I've, I very much enjoy. It's a true honor. I, and I'm glad to be able to do it. Not that I'm glad that people are in the hospital, 
but I'm glad to be able to be there with them. And sometimes when I do a hospital visit, there's these trays just kind of in front of everyone, if it's before or after a meal, and there's the food, and there's the cup with the little plastic lid and the straw. And one thing that I have yet to do in a hospital visit is to pick up a random hospital cup and take a drink. <laughs> the very thought of that is disgusting to me. <laughs> and if you are with me, you can kind of feel the cringe. Why would you pick up a random hospital cup and drink it? And that is how Jewish people saw the dishes that Samaritans used. But to drink from the same cup that a Samaritan had drank, well, that's a random hospital cup right there. So when Jesus is traveling through Samaria, John chapter 4, page 500, verse 3. Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Listen to that phrase, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, he said to her, Will you give me a drink? Remember the hospital cup. He said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So Jesus, he comes and there's this moment where he meets this Samaritan. And, and she wasn't just a Samaritan, she was a Samaritan woman. And in the culture of the day, for someone like Jesus to talk to a woman on her own like that was, was almost inappropriate. So you have, you have man and woman. You have Jewish and Samaritan. And we'll realize, that if you read through the conversation, they have this, this rich conversation, Jesus and this woman, and Jesus reveals that he knows that she's been married five times. And so she's Samaritan, she's a woman, and she's someone whose history has put her on the edge of society. And Jesus asks her for a drink, and her question, I think her question, comes from the heart of someone who's been treated like the hospital cup. Do you want to be with me? Don't you think, because I, th I thought you thought that I'm dirty. So how can you ask me for a drink? How can you know me and still want to be with me? I think that was kind of the heart of what she was saying. There's a, a lot of reasons why this was surprising. And there's this beautiful conversation that Jesus just continues to to engage with her, and as he engages with her and, and he reveals that he knows her, she comes to know him and she's like, I think you're the Messiah. And she goes to her village and in verse 28 it says, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. And verse 39 Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. See, this woman, she encounters Jesus. Jesus. 
And without argument and without explanation, she simply goes to the village and she says, come and see this man that I have met. I have met Jesus. Come and meet him yourself. When we think about evangelism, when we think about talking about Jesus to other people, too often we think about arguments and explanations, about saying the right thing in just the right way because we have to change a mind. But we're not called to change minds. Jesus calls us to change lives. And it's not us who do it. Rather, we ourselves encounter Jesus and our lives are changed. And out of that, we invite people to come and see, to meet this Jesus who has changed mine and can change yours. See, the heart of evangelism is us experiencing the gospel and being open about it. I've known Jesus for a while now. And the longer I walk with Jesus, the more I recognize my need for him. I am someone prone to despair. I struggle with value and significance and purpose. And there's been many times where I wonder what the purpose to life is, or the purpose to my life. And so I look for validation in accomplishment, which has made me terrified of failure. I seek escape in various kinds of media. I feel like money is the most important thing and that I'll never have enough. And out of this brews an anxiety and a desire to control. And see, that's me. If you were to to boil away the Jesus, that's what remains. That's me. But having walked with Jesus, I have seen hope. That tomorrow does not have to be feared. I've experienced peace that failure does not diminish my significance. I have a sense of purpose to my life and to life in general. I've been freed up to be generous and to be more easygoing. And I'm better able to be present in stressful moments without feeling the need to escape. I'm not perfect. There are still days where the darkness creeps in, but I have come a very long way. I have met Jesus. And with confidence that I can say that he is the one who has redeemed my soul. Come and see. Now you might hear these experiences this morning and it it sounds familiar to you because you have a similar story. But you might be new to church or new to Jesus and you, you think, I don't have a story like this. First of all, if you are new to church or new to Jesus, thank you for coming. Uh, We were just on vacation and we visited a couple of churches and it's scary. Like church is my job and I walk into some churches and I'm like, I don't know if I belong here. Like it's scary to show up at a new place and so if you're new to Jesus or, or new to church, thank you for coming. But if you hear this and you wonder, If you can have a story like this, maybe you are like Nathaniel asking a question, can anything good come? Maybe you're not so concerned about Nazareth, but can anything good come from the church? Can anything good come from religion? Can anything good come from a middle-aged white guy standing on the stage? Maybe that's your question, like Nathaniel, is Jesus any good? Maybe like the woman, you you know your heart and you know your past, and when you think of the idea of Jesus, you say, I thought he would think I was no good. I thought he would think that, that he doesn't want to spend time with me. 
But Jesus, with this educated religious guy and, and this woman who was on the outs, edges of society, Jesus knew them to their bones. He loved them, he called them, he knew them, and he invited them to know him. And the same invitation is for you. There's a quote by someone named Tim Keller. It says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. This is where most of us live our lives. We are loved but not known. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. Just think for a moment, is there something in your life that you are convinced if somebody else knew that they, they, they would no longer love you? I think a lot of us have that part of our lives. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, it's, it's, a, lot by, it's a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us from out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw us at us. So let me say from experience, Jesus is good, and he knows you and wants to know you, and he invites you to know him. In John 3.16, so in between page 499 and 500, is John chapter 3, verse 16. It says that Jesus loved the, or God loved the world so much that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And today, we're going to be taking communion, which is a piece of bread and a little cup of juice. And this is where we remember that Christ died on the cross. That about 2,000 years ago, God became flesh in the person of Jesus. He lived an innocent life, and though he was innocent, he died a guilty death on the cross. And in doing this, he paid the penalty for your sin and for mine. But three days later, after he, he was died and buried, he rose again, and in doing that, he defeated the power of death. And as we eat the bread, we remember that his body was given, and as we drink the cup, we remember his blood was poured out. And this is the gospel. And this, this, this cup and this bread, as we take them, it's for those who know Jesus, who, who believe in, that he is who he said he is, that he did what he said he would do. And it's a reminder that grace is in the moment. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writes and he says, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So when we eat the bread, we remember what Jesus did. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So when we drink, we remember what Jesus did. Because whenever we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we remember what he did. Remember Christ is coming back. And in the moment, we remember there's grace. And so if you have relationship with Jesus, we invite you to partake. And if you've never had a Jesus experience, you can have a Jesus experience. You can come and see the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy that has been given to me, that has been given to Dave, that has been given to so many people here. Come and see. Come and meet the Christ that has redeemed my soul. I'm going to invite... Karen Ashen, they're going to come up, and while we do communion, they're going to just play a song, and we're going to give a couple of options for how we can do communion today. You can do it individually. 
And so it can be a moment with you and Jesus to take the bread and to take the cup and to, in conversation with Jesus, to just take communion as the two of you. And the other way to do it is you can meet with Jesus in community. And so maybe the person that you came with today, maybe if you're in a couple, maybe you have friends. It's a family Sunday, so kids are in the service. Parents, this is an opportunity to talk with your children about what it means to know Jesus. And so the question for communion to reflect on is, what is your Jesus experience? What is your experience of the gospel? How have you received grace? How has Jesus changed you? What difference has he made, and how is he changing you? And so whether individually or with someone else, allow the Holy Spirit to bring your gospel experience to mind and And I would encourage you to be very willing to be open, whether it's you and Jesus or with other people, to be open about your gospel experience. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite those serving communion to come forward. And then I'm going to ask down here if we can kind of come down the side aisle and back through the middle and over here in through the side, back through the middle and up in the balcony, just kind of head. The table's just right in the middle there. So I'm going to pray and then I'm going to invite you to come for communion. So Jesus, we just ask that you would that we would meet you. That you would not be an idea or in a worldview, but Jesus, that we would meet you as a person. Holy Spirit, remind us what this gospel is that maybe some of us have grown numb to. Teach us what this gospel is that maybe some of us have never heard. But in all of this, I pray that you would help us to see that you know us fully and love us completely. And you invite us as sinners to the abundant grace that you offer. And so whether this is the thousandth time we've experienced your grace or the first, Jesus, may we encounter you. The communion reminds us of our gospel encounter. It reminds us that Jesus has made a difference and is making a difference and that we need Jesus more than we need food. So if we want to talk about evangelism, first we encounter the gospel ourselves. And then we're open with our gospel experience. It's simply sharing the difference that Jesus has made in our lives and the difference we know that he can make in the lives of others. Without argument or explanation, the sharing experience and invitation So if you're comfortable with raising your hands, how many people here know Jesus because someone else said, come and see? A lot of people. A lot of people. So what would it look like for us as a church to not only experience the gospel, but to be open with our experience? Like Philip, maybe we say, hey, buddy, I think I found the purpose to my life. Like the woman at the well, we can say to our neighbor, I, you know, honestly, Jesus knows everything I ever did, and he loves me. Like Dave, abundant grace. Like me, hey, Aldergrove, Christ has given me hope, and I don't try to avoid tomorrow, no, not nearly as much as I used to. 
So what is your gospel story? And what would it look like for you to be open? Not with arguments and explanations, but to talk about Jesus with the same simplicity you, you talk about cookie butter. Jesus isn't cookie butter. He's gluten-free. <laughs> He's even better. And Jesus isn't a product, but I can share simply about cookie butter. And yet I feel like it has to be complicated with Jesus. Jesus gives me grace. Cookie butter is good on pancakes. <laughs> so with whom can we share our experience? Who can we invite with a come and see to invite people to meet the same Jesus that we have? It can be simple. It can be simply starting an intentional conversation. Jesus had conversation and question back and forth with the woman at the well. So to just start a conversation with someone on purpose. You could answer the question, how was your weekend, by using the word Jesus somewhere in there. Oh man, Jesus just reminded me how much he loved me. Jesus gave me grace. Jesus got me through a tough time. Could be giving someone a book and reading it together. Could be inviting someone to a life group and being intentional about talking about Jesus. Could be inviting someone to a church service like this, but, but don't leave it to the person up here. Have a conversation afterwards. Have lunch and say, what did you think? What do you think about Jesus? Or you can invite someone to Alpha. Sometimes it's hard to know what to say. It's hard to have the, the questions and the next thing to talk about. And Alpha is, is a few weeks long and it's all structured. So you just have to go and bring someone. And it starts at, at Walnut Grove at the end of September and here at Alder Grove in January. And so if you want to start right away, start at Walnut Grove. Invite someone to Alpha. And if you're like, no, I'm going to work on this a little bit, invite someone to Alder Grove here, the Alpha in January. And in any case, begin to consider who you could pray for. We're not trying to change minds, but to introduce people to Jesus. So I'm going to invite the rest of the band up. And I'm going to uh, take a moment, and, and if you would just join me in prayer and move this out of hypothetical and into thinking of the names of the people we could say, come and see. So would you join me in prayer? Holy Spirit, we know that, that, that you bring people to Jesus, that you remind us what Jesus said, and that you work on hearts. And so we just ask right now that you would Show us who you would have us invite. Who are the people in our lives that we can say, come and see to? And Jesus, so many of us are here today because someone else said, come and see. So I pray that you would make opportunities happen, that you would open the door, that you would help us bump into the people that you want us to talk to. That you give us the courage to introduce you because we've already met you, and you're just fantastic. We pray this in your name. Amen. Would you stand? And the team's going to lead us in worship.